0: Good evening. You almost couldn't invent it, could you? A former Qatari prime minister goes into Clarence House with a suitcase and in it there's a million euros in 500 notes, a note that we no longer allow in this country for legal circulation or exchange in any way because we know it is the money of the money launderers and the crooks and the criminals but Prince Charles accepted it. Later on there were more bags of cash, some in Fortnum and Mason's bags, a total of three million euros accepted in cash from Qatar, a country that not only has the highest CO2 output of any country in the world, uh, but one whose human rights record is pretty abysmal. Now, look, I'll declare an interest early on in this debate. Here was me in 2008 in the European Parliament following a speech from Prince Charles. And in the last few months, we've learnt that the North Polar ice cap
1: is melting so fast that some scientists are predicting that in seven years' time, it will completely disappear in summer. Others think it will take a little longer. But the mere fact that such a development is conceivable at all uh, is, you would have thought, yet another wake-up call as we sleepwalk our way towards the edge of catastrophe. For the lives of billions of people depend on your response and none of us, I'm afraid to say, will ever be forgiven by our children and grandchildren if we falter
0: and fail. Thank you. So there we are. That was Prince Charles telling us the North Pole will be gone by 2015. It's still there, I think, Charles, but hey. And the eruptions, the applause in the Parliament, because he'd actually asked for the EU to have more power. So everybody was really, really jolly happy, apart from one relatively young MEP at the time, Um, And I was there, and I just would not. You can see me there, sitting down, surrounded. I was then accused, of course, of being a Republican and many other things, which, of course, I am not at all. But I was worried that Prince Charles was pushing that message of climate alarmism. I was also mystified over the weekend that he had this to say at the Commonwealth Heads of Government Summit in Kigali.
1: While we strive together for peace prosperity and democracy I want to acknowledge that the roots of our contemporary association run deep into the most painful period of our history I cannot describe the depths of my personal sorrow at the suffering of so many as I continue to deepen my own understanding of slavery's enduring impact If we are To forge a common future that benefits all our citizens, we too must find ways, new ways, to acknowledge our past. Quite simply, this is a conversation whose time has come.
0: You would have thought for all of that that we were the only country ever in the world. have been involved in the slave trade. No mention of abolition, no mention of the Royal Naval Squadron driving it out from across the rest of the free world at a cost of over 2,000 dead Royal Navy sailors. But there we are. So my worries about Prince Charles is that he is overtly political in his campaigns. But now, I have to say, there is considerable doubt on his judgement after accepting cash from those people, and in 500 euro notes, you really couldn't make it up. And so my debate tonight that I want you to engage in, please, is Charles fit to be king? Farage at GBNews.uk. Well, joining me is Michael Cole, former BBC Royal Correspondent. We sat here three weeks ago during the Jubilee, and both of us felt quite emotional about Mm. the Queen and the whole event. And we both support the institution of the royal family. We didn't at the time talk about succession. We didn't want to let it spoil the weekend. Mm-hmm. But now we actually have to begin, I think, talking about it. What do you make of this story? Of the
2: well, as of- you say, Nigel, it's from the Jubilee Heights to these depths, de profundis, we really have come down. And by any standard, this is a grade A royal mess of scandalous Uh, even historic proportions and what I can't understand is how the heir to the throne who's been in this business the royal business all his life could have allowed himself to be put into this terrible position and furthermore his staff their staff work is abysmal they should never have permitted their principal to be in a room with suitcases or bags uh, of money being tossed around in this manner it's important to say from the outset that nothing illegal has happened here, but it looks absolutely mm. awful. And when you, the main question you're, you're posing tonight, mm. I, I don't think he can afford many more scandals of this kind, because this has certainly taken the gloss off the, glo- of the glory of, 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 we had the, of Michael, the Jubilee.
0: We had the Michael Fawcett scandal before that of cash for honours. Yes, now, indeed. The Prince wasn't directly implicated in that, but he and Michael Fawcett had been closed for years.
2: Yes, Michael Fawcett, who started there as his valet and then actually was appointed the Chief Executive Officer of the Prince's Trust, as you say, is under investigation by the Metropolitan Police. Now usually Mr Fawcett, the, the, uh, the man mm. Prince Charles said he could not do without, he's usually the lightning rod that takes the flak or takes the bolt from the mm. blue when something like this happens. So. Uh, this, it's difficult to see whether this has legs to run. The charity commission say that they're going to look into it, but I don't think there's a case for them to answer. It's perfectly admissible uh, to pay mm. money to charities. In fact, um, you know, a lot of charities depend upon that. But the problem is, if you want to get right down to it, uh, Nigel...
0: The judgment, you, the judgment, the yeah, judgment. The judgment,
2: absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I, mean
0: the, I don't know how it could uh, possibly the have A former Qatari prime minister yeah. could have wired the money.
2: Yeah, well, of course. It looks... Absolutely, absolutely awful. It looks dreadful. The problem is, you know, that the royal family want to do these great projects. They talk about them, they get behind them, they push them. But they always want somebody else to pay for them. And that's the problem. When you're going round with a begging bowl, it doesn't look good. There are ways of doing it. People want to make contributions because they are in favour of any particular uh, scheme. or And uh, let's, let's say the Prince's Trust does a tremendous amount of good work. Yes. But we also need to know, and of course it's not accounted for in the Prince's Trust accounts, where this money went. No, what, yeah. what,
0: what was it for? It's, so he's on his last... Warning as far as well, you're I, I, th- oh.
2: I think he can't afford many more than those no. because it, 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 the Queen has gone 70 years without having a scandal of this kind. It's a toxic mix royalty, money, uh, shady people, mm, mm. and of course, don't forget that uh, the Qataris uh, this all happened in 2011 and it was the uh, year before that they were awarded against everybody else's. Uh, common sense, the World Cup, which yes. we'll be enjoying later this year. It's money, isn't it? Well, it, it is. It, it's a very good thing. It's how you use it. And, and, and how it's employed and how it's accounted for. I think it's very good for people to, to invest and get behind things that are worthwhile. But do it in an openly open mm. way. I think uh, Clarence House, uh, Pr- Prince Charles's um, headquarters, will be hating all this. They will be absolutely hating it. But I think if they can possibly put some, uh, draw a line on this, they should do so. And promptly... And uh, they should give a full accounting well, of it. Well,
0: let's it. hope they do. But, but more than that, more than that, one more thought. Yeah. You know, my worry about Charles is the Queen has brilliantly kept out of party politics cam- and political campaigning. She's done it brilliantly. Yeah. Charles can't help himself, whether it's the climate alarmism that we saw from the European Parliament years ago to another speech, 96 weeks in which to save the world, to the slavery speech that he's just given, uh, whereas I say, you'd have thought we were the only country that ever had done this, and it, now he wants it to be taught in the syllabus alongside the Holocaust, as if somehow it's the equivalent of that, and that we alone are guilty. Um, I'm not even sure he wants to become defender of the faith, mm-hmm. you know, under our constitution, which he should. Mm-hmm. Can he... Is it possible for him to avoid getting involved in politics when well, he's king? Well,
2: you know, he, he, as you said, he wants to be defender of the faiths. Um, he's got to be extraordinarily... Careful about this. Um, as you say, the Queen has never put a foot wrong mm-hmm. in, in this way. And these things, sort of things cannot ha- be allowed to happen again. He must um, uh, take great care. And perhaps he ought to have around him people who can actually see these tiger traps and make sure that he walks around them rather than straight into them. He's been in the royal business since the age of four. He's been waiting for the job of succession to Her Majesty the Queen since the age of four. He should know the ropes by now. This is a fundamental mistake. He shouldn't have done it. And I think a little bit of mea culpa somewhere along the way, even if it's in coded language, would not be out of place.
0: Michael Cole, thank you very much indeed. And is it surprising that some opinion polls say that people would rather... It went straight to William rather than Charles. Now, Boris Johnson has been at the G7, or you could call it the G9, of course, because there are two people there who have never been elected from the European Union. And there's a new bromance, apparently, between President Macron and Boris Johnson. They had a very cordial meeting. At no point in the meeting did the Prime Minister think it was fit to discuss the English Channel crisis. And according to Macron's team, he was very enthusiastic, very enthusiastic about this new plan of an outer tier of political membership of the European club. Now, Downing Street say that's not the case, he was just being polite. But perhaps that's the problem with his leadership all the way through. Try to please everybody, and in the end, pleasing nobody. And I am no fan of Boris Johnson now as Prime Minister. You know what I think here, I think if he stays on as PM, They will head for a 97-style defeat. But do the Conservative Party have the guts to get rid of him? They didn't even have the guts to get rid of Theresa May. I had to do that in the European elections. And here we are again with Boris Johnson. Now, Andrew Bridgen, MP, is one of the people leading the charge against the Prime Minister. But, Andrew, just a quick thought. You said there is a credibility problem with the current leader. But you said that in 2013 about David Cameron. You said, sadly, the PM's position has become untenable. Well, you said that. You've also written letters about Theresa May. Is there any Tory leader that you like? Well, I think it's the constant renewal, Nigel, that keeps us in power. (laughs) I (laughs) I don't buy that. (laughs) I don't buy that. I mean, you know, are you just a member of the awkward squad? I'm sure the Whip's office thinks
3: that, but uh, I'm acting... I'm very active on the ground in my constituency, I know what the people think and there was a poll out on YouGov uh, late last week, only 10% of the public think that we've got the right leader and the right policies. It it is absolutely stunning. 53% think we've got the wrong leader and the wrong policies. We're going
0: to put that graphic on our screen just to show that Bridgen's not making everything up as he goes along. Yeah, I thought that figure was incredible, absolutely incredible. Only 10% think we're on the right track with our leadership.
3: And I I had a sort of epiphany moment a couple of Mondays ago, driving down to to Parliament, and I realised we were actually more Conservative when we were in coalition with the Liberal Democrats than this government is now, with an 80-seat majority. I think we're wasting the majority. Okay, we've had Covid to deal with, but that shouldn't have been the interruption. See, I agree
0: with you on all this. I mean, I think that that, the way they've pursued big government, high tax... Uh, They're deaf to the energy crisis. I mean, already we've got Italy, France talking about energy rationing, and it's coming here too if we stay down this track. You know, he could have, if he'd wanted to, made us energy independent. Uh, We should be fracking. We're we're waiting for the the report from the uh, the British
3: Geological uh, Mm -hmm. Society on whether we can go ahead and. and reasonably do
0: fracking without too much disruption but he's not but, but you know he wants net zero and even if that means global CO2 emissions well, go up he's abs- not bothered well he, look, that's, that's right a-
3: because the way the way they calculate net zero if we don't extract our own fossil fuels but buy them in from other
0: countries they count on yeah, their yeah, yeah. footprint I mean, the, whole, look, the lo- look, lunacy, look, you on everything. lunacy. But your party it's got this reputation down the years of being ruthless. It isn't ruthless at all. It can't get rid of anybody. I know you and Steve Baker are trying, and you're going to try and get yourself elected onto a 22 committee to try and change the rules. We've also got, you know, Johnson himself... Will appear before the Standards Committee. Uh, but, but, but Privileges Committee, but, that's going to report in
3: but, October. But, but what are the, what are hey, the Cabinet that's doing? That's months away. What are the Cabinet doing? Uh, the next Conservative leader, any leader, has got to have integrity, courage, and show leadership. And I'm not seeing any of those qualities from the current Oliver Cabinet. Oliver Dowden did walk away. He did walk away, but he was going to get pushed. He knew he was going to get the blame for those uh, two by elections. I think Wakefield was fairly ex- expected. Mm. Uh, I think probably.
0: Uh, Tiverton was at the top end of, ex- of, of worst expectations. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Actually, Boris Johnson now, far from being a vote-getter, there are so many people that hate him, they will actively vote to get the Conservatives well, out. He's, I, I, he's I, creating I a, a, sort of, a sort of I block vote
3: that. against Boris Johnson, so that's against a Conservative yes. candidate. And that's very dangerous, because, as you see, they'll vote Labour in one part, and they'll vote Liberal Democrat or something else somewhere else.
0: If I invited you back to sit in that chair in the first week of December, is he still going to be the leader?
3: I don't think so, no. I don't Is think... Is that because you hope
0: he won't be, or you
3: actually think? I'm going to do, do my best for the country and the Conservative Party, and I don't think Boris Johnson should be leading us into another election. There's a, there's, a, there's a cohort of my colleagues that still cling to the hope that people are going to forgive and forget, and they say a week's a long time in politics, and maybe if the election's not generation, not till two years from now, people will have forgotten... I think it's too raw, Nigel. I think there's no policy like the Covid lockdown where we all made sacrifices for the, the national good um, and to have the people who made those rules abusing them themselves, I think it's
0: too personal if for nobody in the cabinet, If nobody in the Cabinet has got the political courage to stand down, then, they prob- then probably none of them deserve to be the next leader as and when. Is there anybody else that you can see? Is there any, any obvious personal people out
3: there. If I were to name names outside You'd, the company, that do. would be the kiss of death, it would be, would be, would be, uh, yeah. but I think it, it, will, it will be a Brexiteer uh, because that's what the membership will, will want and it's, it's got to be someone... You weren't thinking you, you think yourself about having a go, were you? Well, you know, in every in every private soldier's backpack there is a field marshal's backpack. If
0: it was like... a personal motivation, you see, he's no, much no, no, more no no. No no, Andrew no, Bridgen no, no. is much more of a career politician than you'd ever have you believe. <laughs> I think he's right. I think Steve Baker's right. I just think the Conservative Party in Parliament, in the main, are gutless, spineless, useless, not Conservative, and they will keep Boris if they're very stupid and lose the next election by a whopping majority. We head now to a break. When we come back, those murders, that murderous attack that happened in a gay bar in Oslo, why are the British press today not covering it at all? Welcome back. What are your thoughts on Prince Charles and the millions in suitcases and Fortnum and Mason? Carrier bags. You really couldn't invent this stuff. One viewer says forget King, is Charles fit to be a prince? Another says I've never thought so. In answer to the question, is he fit to be king? Sharon says he is supposed to step up for his mum if he becomes king, I fear. It'll be the beginning of the end for the monarchy and the end of the Commonwealth. Another viewer says, no, he never was. And I must admit, I've always been a Charles sceptic. I'm not sure he is the right guy. Now, on Saturday in Oslo, it was the big Pride Day the biggest celebration day in the capital city of their Pride Month. And a shooter killed two people, injured 21. He's in police custody. The police have said already that it is a terrorist attack, an extreme Islamist terrorist attack. It is shocking and awful. We've seen similar attacks in America and elsewhere. But here's the funny thing. If you today were to pick up the British newspapers, even the big ones, the big titles, there's barely a mention. So I turned to the Times, the establishment paper, who without doubt have the best foreign news coverage of any daily paper in the country. Big article on Ukraine. Big article on Russia, no surprise there. Big article on the USA after the Supreme Court ruling. Big article on Colombia. Big article on Spain, South Africa, France, Italy, Vatican City. I mean, there's wonderful coverage of everything happening around the world. And news in brief, just a couple of very short sentences, blink, and you've missed it. Why do the establishment not want to talk about this? Well, I think the real truth of it is that they're worried that the attacks, especially on gay people, are something that are likely to increase over the course of the coming years. We saw a similar instance of people being murdered in Reading a couple of years ago, and an unwillingness to talk about it. And whenever it is debated, we'll be told that the person that's committed the act is suffering from mental health issues. We also publicly never get to grips with a proper debate about Islam and the need, in the view of many, for some kind of reformation to go on. I think we should be debating this issue, we should be talking about this issue, we should be worried about this issue. After all, if any public figure said anything even inadvertently, that was taken to be an anti-gay smear, they would be cancelled and hounded out of their job. And yet, this we don't talk about. Well, joining me is Dr. Taj Haji, Provost of the Oxford Institute for British Islam and the Imam of the Oxford Islamic Congregation. And I'm very, very pleased, Taj, to have you here. Now, the Quran is something that is deeply held and respected within your religion, and it's pretty clear that homosexuality is wrong and that it's a sin, isn't it?
4: Well, it doesn't condone uh, homosexuality, just like Judaism and Christianity. So it's taking the same stance as the Abrahamic religions. However, while you might not approve of homosexuality, there's nothing in the Quran that talks about anyone taking the life of any homosexual. That is totally forbidden. It's not possible. In chapter 5, verse 32, it says, if you take one life, it's like you killed all of humanity. If you save one life, it's like you saved all of humanity. So this notion that this man, a uh, 42-year-old Iranian man who got the Norwegian citizenship, Mm -hmm. and uh, he takes it upon himself to apparently go wreak vengeance and and mayhem in this gay bar, this is totally un-Islamic, un-Quranic. And it cannot be condoned in any way, shape, or form. And, and I have to say, we have to send condolences to the people who lost their lives, and those people are now recovering in the hospital. And hopefully, the death toll doesn't increase.
0: The difference, of course, in 2022, is that our interpretation, especially of the Old Testament of the Bible, is not literal, in perhaps a way that it might have been centuries ago. The difference, of course, with the Quran is that it is the later parts of the Quran. That tend to be far less peaceful in terms of the no, way. No, I think it's the,
4: uh, with due respect, Nigel, you are, you are uh, quoting to me uh, Orientalist perspectives. The, uh, the orientalist perspectives. Yes, because this idea that there's sort of two parts of the Quran, that you know, the first part, Muhammad is talking peaceful stuff, yes. and the next time he's talking about the belligerent stuff. No, I mean, if you really understand the Quran, you know, listen, this is a seamless uh, uh, narrative, and he's dealing with issues. Once he is trying to uh, initially. P- present his message of monotheism, that is one God, one humanity, one destiny, and then when he's in Medina as a ruler, yeah. he's now trying to implement this. So when it comes to implementation, he's not talking about the fact that you must go and uh, kill people. But it's still quite
0: aggressive language. But isn't the real point here? Mm. I made the point that the old, parts, the, the old Testament, we don't take literally as we might have done back in history. But that good Muslims do take the Qur'an pretty literally.
4: But even if we take the Qur'an literally, it doesn't talk about killing homosexuals. OK, I get that. I accept that. No, I fully accept right. that.
0: It mm. doesn't condone it it, it, it. it thinks it's a sin, but yeah. it does not. Right. No, it does not important. support violence, and I get that totally. Yeah. But, But there are, it would appear, and the worry, and the reason there's a news blackout on this, mm. I'm pretty clear. Yes. There is great fear Mm. that there are more and more young Muslim men who will take the view, this is an abomination and this is what I'm going to do,
4: to deal with it. Yeah, but, but, but where do they get that information? Not from the Quran. They get it from the t- toxic trio we spoke about. The, the idea that uh, the Sharia, which is concocted man made law, uh, the Hadith, which is uh, supposedly the sayings of Muhammad, and the fatwas, the, the original, religious opinions of in- individual clerics, they take these three things and present that as the rationale for doing bad things, not but just homosexual homosexuals, no, but I anyone get that. else. I
0: get that, but here's the problem. If I'm a Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. I to the Pope for guidance. If I'm an Anglican, I look to the Archbishop of Canterbury, although I'm not particularly a fan of the current one, but but but, but who does one look to?
4: Well, I think this is both... The, in the, the Islamic we- Church. This Who's is, the leader? Right. This is both the weakness and the strength of Islam. Uh, f- the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury is top-down governance. Yes. At least in, in Islam, there's bottom-up. And I think what's but it, important... But it's not
0: working, because people are drawing their own interpretations Right. Uh, it's not working.
4: Without leadership. Because, for example, in this country, why isn't it working? We. Uh, I'm the head of the Oxford Institute. Institute for British Islam. Do we get any support from the general public or from the establishment? We are talking about Islam that is inclusive, integrated, and indigenous. We're talking about Islam that is egalitarian, enlightened, and uh, erudite. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 where's the support for this? So, if you're not saying, ah, nothing is coming from the bottom up, yeah, we are from the I bottom am up. Not for one moment.
0: Not for one moment. And by the way, I have worked and spoken with and to many Muslim groups over the years whose interpretation and desire to live in a settled way in this country is as resolute as yours are. And I absolutely respect that. So this is not about everybody in the religion. It is about, does the religion need a reformation so there is a lead figure that it can look
4: to? It needs a uh, reformation and enlightenment, a renaissance, however you want to couch it. But why do we need a top-down figure? I think this idea that, you know, everything comes from the top, I think this is an archaic concept. We really need organic growth. And, for example, if we can have Muslims all over the world, but say in Britain especially, uh, questioning things. Now, the Quran says one thing, for example, that... uh, 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 um, uh, uh, there's no stoning to death the hadith the sharia and the fatwa these concocted man-made things says yeah you, you need to go uh, uh, to we do have dead. a
0: problem we do have a problem right so there so, are growing numbers of people who claim to be as devout to the religion as you do who are taking a different interpretation no
4: they may claim to be devout Nigel but they do not uh, using their brains in fact the Quran says this book is only for those who use their brains it says repeatedly that it doesn't want zombified believers what's the purpose of God sitting wherever he is and expecting all bunch of zombies to believe in him he's giving you and me a brain to choose and so he's telling us that this book is only for those who wish to think now what? when we think and ponder then we, we must allow the gays the trans and all the other groups in our society equal rights not better rights and more rights equal rights that means equal protection equal safeguarding and so forth and they are entitled to no, it a place
0: in the sun. I wish everybody in the religion of Islam felt the way you do. Thank you for coming in and debating this. Thank it's you. a very, very important debate going forward if we're going to live in a peaceful, harmonious and happy society. Thank you very much indeed Thank for coming in. You see, on GB News, we're not afraid to debate these issues and to talk about these issues, and I think that really, really matters. There appears to be just a blackout on this story across broadcast, radio and newspapers, other newspapers in this country. Now, you may have seen over the weekend that the Oxford and Cambridge... Curriculum for GCSE is being changed, and many favourites that have been there for years and years and years have been removed. The Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi had this to say, and we'll put this up on your screen for those that are watching it on television. He was very, very critical indeed of it. And yes, you know, the fact that Wilfred Owen is not going to be taught at GCSE, that Philip Larkin is not going to be taught at GCSE, uh, that Thomas Hardy is not going to be taught at GCSE. Larkin and Owen are two of our finest poets. Removing their work is cultural vandalism, said the education secretary. But I was drawn, I was drawn today to a letter published in the Telegraph by David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett. I'm going to read it to you. Sir, the proposal by the OCR examination board to remove The works of Philip Larkin and Thomas Hardy from their GCSE syllabus is breathtaking. Thomas Hardy is not to my taste, but his writing called a moment in our time from our own history and the cruelty and inhumanity of human beings to each other. Philip Larkin must be in the top three British poets of the 20th century, someone who captured graphically social interaction, geographic diversity and the glory of the English language. As a former Education Secretary, I appeal to those involved to think again and to understand the diversity of history here in the UK is just as valid as the diversity of other cultures and of other times. David Blunkett, former Education Secretary, speaking up for British culture, for the diversity that exists within that British culture, and I have to say, I thought that was a really, really important, powerful and actually very, very moving letter. And I, you know, education is a theme on this programme that I return to time after time. I do not believe enough of our children are being taught well at school. Now, on a happier note, cricket. the what the Farage moment. There we were. There we were. In Australia, in the West Indies. It looked like the worst English cricket team I've ever seen in my life. So depressing. I thought even about not going to Lords this year. It was that bad. And suddenly, a new captain, Ben Stokes. A new coach, Brenda McCallum. And all of it under the watchful eye of Rob Key, who's been appointed director of Cricket England. And I just can't believe it. We are scoring runs in an attractive way. We're playing positive cricket. We've beaten New Zealand, who were world champions. Number one in the world at Test cricket this time last year. And we've beaten them three love. Hands down, and suddenly, Johnny Burstow is scoring runs more quickly, even than Ian Botham did at the height of his fame. So, I tell you what, if you've got kids who aren't yet into cricket, get them watching this England team. We'll be playing India um, on Friday of this week, and there's a lot more cricket to come this summer. It's exciting, it's brilliant, it's inspirational. My other What the Farage on sport is Wimbledon. We're a country that doesn't really talk about tennis at all until it comes to Wimbledon fortnight and then we all go mad and everyone watches it and everyone talks about it we're obsessed with Wimbledon far more than we are tennis and and it's great and I'm very very pleased that Emma Raducanu won her first round today but what a nonsense it is isn't it that government pressure was put on Wimbledon to ban male and female players if they were born in Russia or Belarus no other event around the world has taken this action and it's sad because it does devalue Wimbledon a bit, in that it won't qualify for points for world rankings. Nonetheless, I'm sure you'll all enjoy the strawberries and cream, and, of course, let's hope we get some decent weather. Now, I've got one or two more reactions to the Prince Charles comments earlier on. Is he fit to be king? And Michael says to me, no, definitely not. There is not much love for Charles coming in here. Definitely not, and that's because he's married to Camilla. He won't be able to keep his mouth shut. Charles will kill off the monarchy. Charles is a threat to the monarchy. Every week, there is another political debate he involves himself in. I fear for the monarchy. Well, I'm not saying that's an exactly scientific sample. It may be those of you that were motivated to write in, but it would appear that a lot of GB News viewers and listeners are very sceptical about Charles becoming king. In a moment... I'm going to talk on Talking Pints to Robert Colville. Now, he co-authored the 2019 Conservative Manifesto. So is the mess the country's in? All his fault. We'll find out in just a moment. It's that time of the day, thank goodness. First today, Talking Pints. Robert Colville is my guest. Welcome to Talking Pints. Mm. Thank goodness for that. So, Robert, you co-authored the 2019
5: Conservative manifesto. One old Etonian writing <laughs> writing for another. Not not, not 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 only that he was my he was my four, I, I was his editor at the Telegraph. So it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean. I I know you've
0: now moved on. You've been a journalist for many, many years. You've done very, very well. You're now at the Centre for Policy Studies, and you took some time out to help write the manifesto, and you've been involved in Conservative politics and debate. But I've got to ask you, you know, we talk about Boris a lot. We've had Jacob Rees-Mogg in the chair. Why are there so many people from one school running the country?
5: I I, I couldn't say. I mean, I... um, I think yeah, it is. It is pro, you know, it, I think David Cameron had a very good, very good answer to this, which is that uh, you know, he wanted every school to be like to, to be like Eton. I think it's, yeah. it is a. Fan, it's a. It's a fan, the, the thing about it is, it's. I mean, and it's partly just because it's got quite a lot of money. It's it's utterly fantastic in l- l- letting you pursue things you're interested you in. You got a scholarship the facilities. there. I, I, got, I got. I got a scholarship there. Yeah. So you must and, be very bright. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, the academic standards there are very, very high. So to be a scholarship guy, you must have done. Extremely well, uh, but you know, and, and just you know, worked worked hard. But um, I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything sp- sort of special. But, but I think that, but that culture of of, of working hard, of letting, uh, making sure people can maximise their potential. I mean, Ooh. that was that was the thing behind the, the free schools movement, the, acad- the academies program. Just this idea that you know that we should we should be that you know, it shouldn't be the preserve of a of a gilded few. It should you know the, the everyone should be able to maximise their opportunity. I think that's something really really powerful.
0: The, obviously, your upbringing, Oxfordshire Village, <laughs> you know, the home counties, rural England, and it is, I, guess,
5: I suppose naturally quite a conservative place to have come from. Yeah, I mean, they, they literally filmed Downton Abbey in my village. If you see the, the village scenes where all the yokels are wandering around, that's literally, and the, the church scenes, that's all and, that, and all the exteriors, that is our you know, the beautiful... And it is Stone. a fantastic
0: part of the world. Yeah,
5: I mean, you know, m- multiple Morris dancing teams, all these kind of wonderful traditions which were absolutely Stephen Very good beer. Yeah. Much better beer than this. <laughs> The fascinating thing I saw in your background was that your father was a World War Two veteran. Yeah, the, the, this is sure. not something that anyone else in their forties would ever say. But yeah, he got married really late um, and um, had kids in his early sixties. So for, you know, for, yeah, so for, for everyone else, kind of growing up, you had, you, they'd you'd be hearing about the Beatles or you know festivals that their parents went to, and, and my dad was literally yeah telling stories about the war, but in a very kind of a Very sort of British, very kind of um, downplaying it, kind of kind of way. He, like he was never about like you know, I, and I took out the machine gun nests with a knife between my teeth. It was always about you know bureaucratic incompetence and how, how you know how the how the, kind of, how the army kind of bumbled through. Where did he go? Uh, so he started well. He started actually defending um, airfields from from. The, there was a real worry that the, IR, the IRA Sinn Fein were going to, as it was then, were going yeah. to start a campaign. So he started out defending wow. uh, defending airfields. There then went over to the basically followed the. Um, Followed the army along the African coast and was part of the um, invasion of Italy. Um, Eighth Army, yeah. yeah, Eighth Army. General Montgomery and all the rest of it. Yeah, no,
0: it's it's it. It must be. Uh, I know other people similar to you. You know, pe- people perhaps a bit older, mm. perhaps my age and a bit older, who've, you know, had fathers a similar age in the First World War or whatever it was. And it it, it kind of um, yeah. I, I guess kids tease you about it a bit. Yeah, but at the same time, they're, they're, all, yeah. they're all fascinated by it. It's yeah, such no, a... absolutely.
5: yeah, no, absolutely. So journalism, Robert, was it always going to be journalism and policy? I, I think so. So I, I got to university and I went for the... Student paper and absolutely loved it. I think in the same way that presumably when you went to your first UKIP meeting, it was like, oh yeah, this <laughs> yeah, is yeah, like I, yeah, found yeah. It, yeah. I found it. Yeah, and absolutely just the whole thing of putting together a newspaper, the writing, the editing, the pictures, the headlines. It just felt like yeah, if I can make if I can make a life out of this, then then I've then I've done pretty well. And then that obviously, I, you know, I, I did history and stuff, and that obviously shaped. Once I got into journalism, I, I sort of gra- sort of orbited around politics and current and policy. And the and Telegraph. You were there for a long time. Yeah, I was at the Telegraph for ten years, in, including. Um, including being one of the many people who had to c- call Boris to, you know, ask, when could we expect this column which we Is were he, meant to have... You see, everyone says, this.
0: everyone says this, that this weekly column for which he was very highly paid, that he
5: often didn't know what subject to write about, he nearly always filed copy late. He was a nightmare to work with, was he? No, no, because, I mean, I mean when I was dealing with him, he was Mayor of London, so he was sort of double, double okay. jobbing, but okay. he was... When the copy finally arrived, it was impeccable, mm. in a way that is very, very... So anyone who says that Boris is not a, a clever guy or doesn't have a brain him, absolutely... Like it, yeah. there's, there's very, very few he's people just, who he's just... He's just, just disorganised. Yeah, but, yeah, but when, he foc- when he sat down and focused and the words came out, they were absolutely... Yeah. You know, was, yeah. It was so rare that you'd have to you'd even query anything.
0: Yeah, no, I've spoken to other people that work with him on The Telegraph and uh, at The Spectator, and it's sort of almost sort of perpetual chaos in motion, really. Um, but that's who he is. So, the Telegraph, I mean, you
5: know, that could have been a job for life, I guess. Yeah, well, <laughs> given, given what was happening to the newspaper industry, um, p- perhaps not, but... Yeah. Um, but no, I, I loved it, and... Well, um, you say that, but actually, the Telegraph, online subscriptions... Yeah, so, and... Uh, yeah,
0: 700,000 When
5: I was there, the people hadn't worked out online, online subscriptions yet, yeah. and it was just looking like the economics were awful. No, so, um, yeah, no, so I, I, I really loved it there, and I really love... And I was an editor rather than a good front of house guy, um, but then um, then went off to to Buzzfeed for a while, which is a sort of strange mm. um, interlude in between the Telegraph and, and the CPS, and then got actually the, you almost sort of by accident got into think tanks and, and politics. So I'd been in sort of tangential. I'd, I'd done a piece of work for the Centre for Policy Studies, which is the think tank founded by Margaret Thatcher and Keith Joseph, which basically invented Thatcherism. Um, on what? how the internet was changing politics, at a time when no one knew what the internet was. I mean, you were I think you, you might have been one of the, the few people who was Absolutely actually early on, in, it, yeah. early on it, yeah. Um, but essentially, you could fit everyone in a phone booth um, who, who was sort of in yeah. that scene. Um, and, then, uh, so, and then they sort of came... Uh, and, and for people at home,
0: yeah. who don't know this little village Absolutely. of Westminster, the Centre for Policy Studies, as you say, very much a conservative thinking, uh, you know, free market think tank, independently funded,
5: what do think tanks, just in simple English, what do think tanks do? They put forward policy ideas. That's all, all we do, essentially. We say, this is what the government is doing, this would be a better thing to do. Or, this is what the government's doing, here's why it's, here's why, here's why it's making a mistake. Yeah. And that, like, that's pretty much everything that every, every think tank does in, in various different ways. So you're pumping ways. out
0: ideas, you have people that give you money to yeah. help you pay for offices and produce this research, because you want to change policy.
5: Yeah. And and, and change it, it, obviously, in in keeping with the founding principles of Margaret Thatcher and Keith Joseph, which are about small state, free markets, individual opportunity, aspiration, entrepreneurship. Gosh, what a lonely
0: place to be in these days. I mean, you
5: helped write that manifesto in 2019.
0: And OK, the pandemic came along. But can you believe that we have a Conservative government that's pushed us to the highest tax burden since Clement Attlee was in Downing Street? Where, I mean, you're, you're finding it painful, but it's true. Yeah,
5: uh, yeah and I think, you, I think you can blame the pandemic for an, for an awful lot of that. <coughs> um, really? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, I mean, the, the, right there on the front page was, we're not going to raise taxes, and they've raised taxes. So that's yeah. obviously, a, you know... Mm. But they can't even take
0: the 5%, which it wouldn't be big money. They can't even take the 5% off, off VAT on fuel, which was a direct Brexit promise.
5: Well, well I mean, the, th- the thing which gets to me at the moment is the fact that we are going to put corporation tax up by, by six Nearly points. 30%. And, yeah, and the Treasury is saying, effectively, it won't matter. And I was like, well, if you talk to businessmen, it does matter. If you talk to people who want to invest in this country, it's a real signal to them that we, don't, you know, that we are a more a less friendly place. The pandemic, to, aside, yeah. the pandemic
0: aside, why has Boris Johnson... and I read your columns in the Sunday Times every week, and they're very well thought through and argued. Why has Boris Johnson strayed away so far from where you were trying to push him into in 2019?
5: Because Boris Johnson has never been a pure Thatcherite, and a lot of people misunderstand this. I was there when he launched his election campaign to be Tory leader. And what he offers was essentially Heseltine you know, plus Thatcher. He is his platform, his domestic policy platform was I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spend more on the public services. I'm going to build a load of infrastructure. You know, he that's you know he, he the green stuff he really always believes Does believe in. Believe but in but he was but he was going to do a, he was going to do, you know, pure hard clean Brexit and get it done in a way that was looking absolutely impossible. So you had all these people standing up and cheering him who would have hated all of the all yeah. of the domestic stuff he was. He was committing to. But because he was delivering Brexit, that didn't matter. And, of course, you know, the, the secret is the public are also, you know, unfortunately... Should he stay as leader? Yes. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, well, it's up to the Conservative Party. But they'll too, lose but... if he does. I, th- I think, at, in the current economic circumstances, it's utterly... Like, it's very going to be really, as you're seeing around the world, it's it's tough for anybody. But also, what I said in my column this weekend is I think the Conservatives are, because the Conservatives are gossipy Westminster types who go to, you know, dinner cocktail parties over there, they are all fixated on the individual. And it's like, people don't like Boris, junk Boris, Mm. it'll all somehow work itself out. And I don't think that's true. I think that, given the state of the economy, given the the state of cost of living, given the nature of the Tory Tory vote—the kind of these sort of old voters in the south and the new voters in the north—like, you need to work out what your approach is on that. You need to work out how you're going to actually tackle cost of living. Like, everyone's talking about tax cuts. I mean, I love tax cuts. My my job is basically to argue for tax cuts, but. The, given, the, the, given how much energy prices are going up by, even you, you're talking about fuel, fuel that doesn't touch the sides. No, Nothing touches the sides. It will be symbolic. And the, yeah, and the government has spent like, you know, billions and billions and billions of pounds on cost of living, and no one's noticed. No, that's true. Final subject. I mean, we could talk about the economy, oh, cool.
0: business, no. all those things, but time forbids oh. housing. And I need to catch up with you. Yeah, no, Go do, up. please, please, please. We had... Um, We had a former Labour MP Stephen Pound on the other day who downed it in about four I was was, was telling your colleagues if if
5: you wanted a viral moment,
0: I could try to... So, just a thought here. One of the areas that really matters and I know you care about Hmm. is housing. You know, not only is it difficult for young people to get onto the social housing ladder, the private sector, whatever it may be, there's now again the row about second houses and Michael Gove almost proposing communism over the weekend You know, allowing local councils to put 100% taxes on people who buy second homes for buy to let. Um, But take that out of the equation for now, because it really, as I say, it's so hard left, it's almost unbelievable. The government promised to build more houses. Net migration is running at record levels. We need to build a house every four minutes or a dwelling every four minutes just to cope with migration, let
5: alone the shortfall that we've got. How do we build more houses? Fundamentally, you have to have a big fight with a lot of people, like in people in the in the places I grew up, and uh, you know, and say, look, we need more houses. You know, we we need to put like a couple of stories on London. London is an astonishingly low-rise right low city. Very low-level. Yeah, you know, could, But I just I am an utterly radical on this because it's destroying the the livelihoods of so many people. And you talked about immigration. Yeah. One of the things I hate is the. Is, it, there's, a, is there, and there's a cast of Tory MPs who, who, who will say this. Is They will say, we should let in everyone from Hong Kong, everyone from Ukraine. And I agree with that. I mean, yeah, you know, <sighs> Afghan interpreters. I, I absolutely agree with that. But they also say, and we should still not build any, and we're still building too many extra houses. You can't do both. Like, and we, we did a piece of analysis. Where, you know, this, this 300,000 figure for new homes. That should actually probably be, uh, you know, 340,000, because it's based on... A, and a, what a, are we currently building, 150? No, uh, 245. OK. So it's... <laughs> yeah, what right, right. I mean, it, it's it's... It's based on immigration figures that are, you know, that yeah. are they're out of date. Yeah. No. We we we've got a real problem with all of this.
0: And and you're right. The economic cycle is very very tough. It would be hard for the Conservatives to win the next election. Anyway. But regardless, your think tank fights on through Labour governments. Indeed. Through Conservative governments. And do you think Mrs. Thatcher would be proud of what the CPS is doing today?
5: I think she'd say there was. Plenty of room for improvement, but I think she said that about everything and everyone, and, and rightly so.
0: <laughs> and that's why you're there,
5: producing thought
0: and trying to influence policy in ways many of which I'm a strong supporter of. Robert, thank you very much indeed for joining us. on Talking Pints. We have a short time left for Talking Pints. No, we've finished that. Sorry. Barrage the Farage. Here goes. Barry asks... Are manifestos not a complete waste of time when leaders abandon them almost immediately?
5: Actually, if you look at the trackers, they've done most of what they—they've done a surprising amount of what they promised to do. Given there's been a pandemic, I think they were a re- they a really important signal to the public about what the party is okay. for and it holds them to account. They're still valid. One viewer asks,
0: why is it called the G7 when Von der Leyen is in attendance at every meeting? Representative of the EU, yeah, not just her, but Louis Michel's there as well. The two EU muppets are there as well. It's not the G7. No, I regret that. Finally, not much time left. Do you think the EU referendum vote would go the same way it did in 2016 if we vote again? Yes, unless they extend the register to people who currently aren't here. um, Here on foreign passports. Quick thought? Maybe. I think... (sighs) It's a a hard thing to. It's a hard thing. Who knows? Who knows? It's not the debate. We've moved on from EU membership, thank goodness. But there's a heck of a lot more to do on a whole load of fronts, like taxation, like housing. A list as long as your arm. Thank you for joining me this evening. I'll be back with you at seven o'clock tomorrow evening.